Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, Journey Church and guests and visitors, those of you joining us online. Um, And by the end of this service, we are going to share in the ultimate Thanksgiving meal called the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or the Eucharist, which means giving of thanks. We'll get there in a moment, but first, and that which will lead us to that point is the conclusion of John's first epistle. And I'll say it this way, this morning we are going to look at John's conclusion his conclusions, plural, and his conclusion of conclusions. If you have your Bibles, you can start to open there to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 21. At the risk of being redundant, I thought it was important as we close to highlight just one more time the significance of how God orchestrated our teaching series with what he knew was going to take place in this church and perhaps even connect some dots. Maybe you already did it, but let's just go down that road. What began as a year-long emphasis on a biblically defined church health led us into a year of intentional evangelism and discipleship. A year of an intentional evangelism and discipleship led us into a summer of strategic, missional, kingdom of God kind of praying. Pastor Tyler and I met every Wednesday throughout the summer, teaching, training, exercising, practicing what we describe as upstream or upriver kinds of prayers. Praying for the things of God in this world and in this community and in this church. And right on the tail end of that, the roof got ripped off. Yeah. We're living with it. It's great. We're making progress. You can pray for our insurance company. We have no reason to think they're not going to pray or or follow through. But, But just time. Okay? Cash flow. But, but we're making great progress, and the team that has transformed this auditorium even like floated the back wall and painted stuff. Can we just thank the Lord and thank them for, for what they've done here? There's more work to be done. We still have a temporary roof on here, and uh, really just awaiting some of those final uh, decisions by our insurance company and contractors. But it's interesting to note that in the midst of these last three months, while there has been just a tremendous amount of kindness and patience and generosity and gratitude, at the same time, there's been an uptick, and maybe you don't know this, maybe it's pastoral privilege, there's been an uptick in troubled souls, individuals, not connected to anything that happened with the windstorm, but just individuals struggling. 
emotionally, intellectually, relationally, spiritually, mutually exclusive one for another. There's just an uptick, an increase in anxiety in, in an emotional disturbance. Some, it has to do with shame. Some, it has to do with theology in a particular point of doctrine. For some, it's a style of, of things, music, things of that nature. Some of it's relationship, not feeling included and loved. But there's been an increase in this season that I have experienced, I have never met with so many people or prayed for so much restoration than in this last three months. And all the while, for the last 15 and now 16 weeks, drilling down on 1 John, an epistle that is loaded with gospel, loaded with Jesus, loaded with truth, loaded with obedience, and loaded with love. Love. Love one another. And whether it's the individual that's, that's struggling to love them, or the struggling person, that in their struggle to not do something in their stress response, to inflict harm or damage on others. We've been drilling down on this discipleship epistle, calling us to relationship, to godliness, to community, in loving one another. Did you see it? Did you connect the dots? Did you notice that that was by God's design? Now, that's just what we live through. But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what's coming next. Not a prophet, not a, a, a doom and gloom, but I just wonder what is coming next. Is it possible that the God who sees all things as the ever-present immediate now, the God who knows the future, is preparing us, preparing you, instructing us, Equipping us for what comes next. Did you think about the year 2024? It's another election year. Do you remember the last one? It wasn't just about Donald Trump, was it? It was about a lot of things. I don't know if it'll just be about Donald Trump again. This time. But I wonder... And I'll guarantee you this, there will be more opinions, there will be more strain, there will be more polarization in our world. And the question is not if it will make inroads into the church, the question is how far will it make inroads into the church and seek to divide us rather than loving one another well, even while having political opinions. How far? Will this make inroads? And does God know? Well, this morning as we finish this conclusion and conclusion of conclusions, here is our last opportunity corporately. You can go back and read and even memorize First John, and I would encourage you to do so. 
to be thoroughly familiarized with John's letter. But this morning, we get to look at this finale, this final text together, and take it to heart. Dear God, open our hearts. Not just, just, don't just open my mouth and to be able to explain it well. Open our hearts for what's right there in, in the scripture that we might be transformed from the heart, that we might become uh, people that love and reflect you from the heart with others. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here it is, 1 John 5, the conclusion, conclusions, and conclusion of conclusions. 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Thank you, Sarah, for pointing that out so many times. But that, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything to his, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God. And God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John, the last living apostle. John, the sage. John, the mentor and discipler of myriads. Pastor John has given us his very best in 1 John. He's discipled us and fellow believers around the world for centuries through this scripture. And he's developed his thinking in three major categories. Every single thing that we have in 1 John fits neatly into one of three buckets that we try to emphasize and, and uh, highlight so that we're, we understand what is it that the Lord is calling us to do and be. Here are the three areas. What we think. Theology, doctrine, beliefs, intellect, what we want. This is our desires, our heart, our emotions, what we do. This is our behaviors or actions. And we are called by the Lord Jesus Christ as believers, as Christians, to think, love, and live like him. Like Jesus. All of us are to grow up and mature in our walk with Jesus Christ. And, and these categories, uh, they show us areas that we may be a little bit stronger or weaker in. But let me assure you, every single last one of us has work to do in all three categories. The Lord is the one that is sanctifying us. 
But we are to join him in these areas that we might become more like Jesus in how we think, how we desire, or, or our affections, and the way we live, the paths of our feet, and the work of our hands, the words of our mouth, that we are to grow up and into Christ in all these things. These are John's three essential building blocks of discipleship. So it's fitting that all three of these make a strong showing in his conclusion, or conclusions, plural. Now, at the same time, I've been very impressed. I've been very impressed with how careful John the Apostle is to ensure his readers, his listeners, that he is not questioning their faith in calling into question the sincerity of their profession. Why is this so significant for me? Because I went to a college that the very first thing you did as a freshman is took a class on 1 John, and the agenda was to demonstrate that you're not saved yet. This is gospel truth. I went through that. It was called Foundations. And the whole view of 1 John was to have six major tests to show you the birthmarks of whether or not you are going to heaven or hell. And it was used as that kind of barometer measuring stick. And here's the thing that I love about John in his emphasis is he never calls us to look inward to our heart or outward to our good works, but always upward to Jesus in his finished work on the cross. And that is how he begins, once again, his conclusion. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe. And it wasn't John the Apostle, Apostle calling into question their faith. It was the false teachers. Those who went out from amongst them and adopted different kinds of theological ideas and philosophies that were now hanging around and causing them to question the sufficiency of Christ. For the forgiveness of their sins. And so again and again and again, John says these kinds of things. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Remember, his agenda in 1 John is not to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. That was John's gospel. You know, it's the only New Testament book that was written expressly for pre-believers. You can see it in John chapter 20. In order to convince them of the person and work of Jesus Christ that they might believe. And 1 John is written to those who had believed. That they might, not, might, they might know that it is enough. But that it is now their privilege to grow up and into Christ. And he opens 1 John with this, this vision. That they might have fellowship with the Father and the Son and one another. That they might experience eternal life. Not someday, but right now. And that our joy may be complete. And so he's given us these 
these tests of walking in the light, which is discipleship material for those who have believed. And he wants to stop once again and remind them. It is enough. Faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He saved us not because of, of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know this morning that you have eternal life? And I forbid you to look inward or outward to your works, but only upward. Do you believe in all that is true of the Lord Jesus Christ, all God, all man, two natures, one person, forever united, the God-man Jesus Christ has come, lived a perfect life, and took the sins of the world, including yours and mine, on the cross to make atonement for those sins and then prove that he is who he is by rising again on the third day. Do you believe in his name? This is eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life today? Because the rest of the message doesn't matter unless you know. And your first order of business is to get this straight. If not, what have you been putting it off for? To embrace and believe and receive the gift of eternal life that he's already purchased for you. This foundation of confidence in Jesus Christ comes with a sacred, precious promise called answered prayer. And it's attached to our newfound position in Christ that is by grace alone, through faith alone. And John takes us into this in verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, in these two verses, the whole idea about asking, making a request, is self-interest. And that's okay. He's saying, you need stuff. You're going to make prayer requests. And I want you to understand your position in Christ. You are allowed to, and you are, are it's, it's a, a privilege, it's a sacred duty. You need something. Ask the Father for what you need. And here's the promise. He hears us in the, the Greek. It means to hear favorably. He's not going, man, you just keep on bugging me. And dude, did you look at your life? And, and he's, no, he hears us favorably. That's my son. He's not perfect yet. That's my daughter. She's still flawed. I'm not done with her, by the way. But I love to hear her request. I hear you, daughter. I hear you, son. He hears us. One caveat, that we pray according to his will. And you know that Jesus himself had to submit himself to the same standard. That it was in the garden that he said, yet not what I want, but what you will. And so the believer must offer his prayers according to the will of God. But when we do, it says right here, we have. 
It's as good as done. When we ask according to his will, the only thing left is the manner, time, and place. But God has already said yes. According to his will, he's already said absolutely. What an amazing confidence that we have. And it brings us to the first sentence of our bottom line this morning. The first sentence of the bottom line is this. If Jesus Christ is my foundation, I have believed in the name of the Son of God, all that is true about him, for the forgiveness of my sins. If Jesus Christ is my foundation, I have access to everything I need. It doesn't say I have it yet. It means I have access to it. When I know that I need it, I ask. It might not come immediately, but we've been heard. And we need to go into prayer with that kind of confidence, knowing that this is what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us in, in addition to and connected to the forgiveness of our sins. We are now granted bold authority to walk into the very throne room of God and tell him what we need. Tell him what we need. George Mueller, the missionary and... Uh, he loved and cared for hundreds of orphans. George Mueller said this, Prayer is not a way of overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. So if Jesus Christ is your foundation, my foundation, we have a great and sacred privilege and an amazing promise. Everything I could possibly need through an ongoing relationship and conversation with the Father, it is called prayer. Now, because it's so easy for us to make our faith and make salvation and the forgiveness of sins all about me and my needs, John is going to turn our attention from inward to outward in just a moment. There's actually three, three directions that John's going to point us. Inward, outward, and upward. But before we get there, I want to just give a synopsis of the other verses we're about to look at. And fill out the rest of the bottom line. Here it is. If Jesus Christ is my foundation, I have access to everything I need. We've already talked about that one. Here's the second sentence that, that fills out the rest. However... I must steward it faithfully while guarding against all forms of idolatry. Because we're even able to take our Christianity, our salvation, and make it about ourselves. We see this kind of behavior all over our culture. Um, Self-focus, and another term for that could be, well, idolatry. Something less than God himself. Anytime we take a lesser thing and make it an ultimate thing. And it supplants, takes the place of God in his place. In our life or in our community. We do see it across the church in North America. Four years ago, it just went through the roof. And we're still reeling from the consequences of casual church attendance and casual church affiliation. Why? Because people have have just fully embraced a consumeristic kind of church affiliation. 
that it's really about them and their preferences instead of what is, what's going on here. And how can I make a contribution? How can I come alongside and help rather than to be a critic? Because that's what we saw four years ago. Is if you did masks wrong, if you did meeting in groups wrong, if, if you slipped up on, on an opinion or a statement or, or didn't say enough or said too much about George Floyd, that people, it's just so easy to, to either move churches or stop altogether. And that just takes a highlighter to this. That we just don't see church in the manner in which the first century church saw church. The primary metaphor is a family. And that you're not there to only receive. It's a great benefit. But you're there to ask the question, how can I contribute more than I consume? And that's what Christian maturity, just like becoming a parent, it, that's what it looks like. You grow up and you're no longer asking, do I like it? But how can I make a contribution? How can I come alongside and serve? By the way, this has always been the template for the people of God. Early in the year, we did a whole sermon on the Abrahamic covenant. And the whole idea that God was going to bless Abraham so he could be a fat cat and awesome and flex on everyone. No. He blessed Abraham so that the entire world through him would be blessed. So the blessing never terminates with us. It's always been the people of God. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And as he is, so are we in this world. So John's going to go from this amazing foundation. And this amazing gift of having our needs met. Anytime, just ask. Submit it to the will of God. But just know he loves you and he's listening and he wants to answer but don't just use it for you he's going to take our attention and turn it outward and he's going to use it as an example but also as a priority don't just pray for yourself pray for your brothers and sisters because guess what every single one of us has been and will be tempted tried and sometimes failing and that's what he says here. Now, this is an enigmatic verse, um, but we're going to unpack it as quickly as possible and hopefully get to communion on time. But it says here in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask. That's prayer. You're asking who? Asking God. And God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, we got to understand what's going on here because we know sin leads to death. What is he talking about? My hunch. And I'm going to give you two options. And my interpretation is going to lead you to, to, to one of these options. The idea that all sin does not lead to death cannot be spiritual death. I just, all, all sin is a fracture between us and the Father. In the faith, those sins are paid for and removed, yes, but willful sin harms and brings death. Dangerous. And you don't know where the line is, so stop now. Because sin will actually change you. 
And every time you choose that, you now have a new set of options and your options are now severely limited by that last bad choice. Yes, God is gracious. There's a path back, but it's difficult. And so you don't sin and you got to take that seriously. But what in the world is this sin that very clearly leads to death? And we just got to take a moment, hit pause, because there's no grand unified theology from church, the, the history of the church. And there's many ideas and thoughts, but I'm going to just give you two that I think could be options. The first one, or I should say both of them, consider the brother that sins a sin not leading to death as a genuine brother. Or sister in Christ. They are a Christian. They are forgiven. They were, are eternally secure. Held in the hand of Jesus and the Father. So they're a brother. But the sin leading to death. Is swift removal. From the time space continuum we call life. Okay so it's a physical death. And we have examples in the Old Testament, but certainly in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit and the whole congregation and the apostles. Sold land, acted like they gave the whole amount because it looked really awesome and generous. But they kept back some. It was an image thing. And the Lord said, you're done. Took them out. Furthermore, and by the way, we will be taking communion here in a little bit, but in in the church in Corinth, we discover that there were individuals that were really flippant and obnoxious. I don't know exactly what was going on, but communion was just a circus to them. And the Apostle Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 11. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. And he's talking about a physical death, that God goes, no, I'm not doing that. It's bad for you, it's bad for my church, and it dishonors my name. And so for all of those concerns, I'm taking you home now. Sin unto death. Okay, and the second one is that same idea for the brother who sins a sin not leading to death, but the difference is the, the one who sins unto death these are the apostates. They were never true brothers. They were brothers in Christ. But according to 1 John, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been from us or of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. They have actually now renounced their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thereby sealing their spiritual doom. Well, it's important to understand that whichever it is, it's important to understand that John doesn't actually forbid praying for this kind of person. He just says that he does not command it or advise it. But no matter what the interpretation is and who you decide to pray for, the thrust of the text is clear. And here's what it is. Don't just use your position in Christ and your authority in prayer for yourself. Use it to love and serve others. 
here's the fill in the blank. We've been granted authority, use it in love, to serve others. And who better than someone who is struggling, someone who is emotionally, spiritually, relationally, off the rails, out of fellowship, uh, sinning their way into uh, just a, a wreck in a mess because sin is lawlessness and it brings damage and harm. How about those people that you know in our body or in your family that are struggling and to take God's promise that, that if you pray for them and you pray according to the will of God for their restoration, that God says, yeah, that's according to my will. And then stand and watch God renew them to himself and renew them to fellowship. Sometimes we have to wait. I'll, I'll tell you, out of this text for the last two and a half, three weeks, this is the number one most impactful thing of this message. That I've just been thinking about the people that are struggling and praying, God, you tell me to pray for them. I'm waiting and watching to see what manner and timing that God will restore them and renew them to a robust and fruitful walk with Christ and back into fellowship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way in his little epistle at the very end. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings, him, bring, brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And the, that we could do this through asking of the Father. That's your ministry. You don't have to be given a title. You don't have to be given a position. You don't have to be given a credit card of the church. You don't have to be given a swipe key to get into the buildings. You can just pray. You can change the world. You can restore a brother or sister back to fellowship with Christ and the community of faith by asking. So don't just look inward, look outward. You've been granted authority, use it in love to serve. Well, this leads us to a second conclusion. And that's found in verse 18 and 19. He, in effect, says, hey, don't be that person. Don't be that person. Because that's not who you are anymore. Don't be the sinning brother or sister. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is the third time that John has said this so clearly and directly, and probably the fifth, sixth, seventh time that he's talked about this kind of thing. That... The new nature is completely incompatible with rebellion against the goodness and holiness of God. It ruins our sin life. Conversion destroys our ability to enjoy sin. Isn't that good news? But also, but also, he who is born of God, I take that to be Jesus the Christ, keeps us he ruins sin from the inside out and keeps us from the outside in isn't that good to know so that satan does not 
touch. The word there in the Greek means to lay hold of and grasp. And I want you to understand this. He will tempt you. He will try you. He will seek permission to sift you like he sifted Peter. But he will not lay hold of you. But for the world, that's all they have. You might see something of a kind of goodness in the world. You might have great compassion for the world. You might have great hope for the gospel penetrating people who are in the world. But that does not change the reality. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. But that's not you. The fill in the blank is we've been set free. Use it to become godly from the heart. So look outward to your brothers. Look inward. Be holy. 1 Peter 1.15 He, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Maximize it. Run with it. Work with him, not against him. Let's be holy. This leads us to John's third conclusion statement. Found in verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. And I want you to understand from this, the ability to understand the gospel the ability to understand spiritual life, the ability to believe in the name of the Son of God does not come from us, but is a gift to us. Where do I get this? 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And yet for those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is our foundation. God has granted to us a gift of understanding. Spiritual discernment. The Son of God has come and given us understanding. But what is the understanding for? Finish the verse. The Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we might know him who is true and what does that mean? It means intimate, personal, relational, experiential knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Father and His Holy Spirit. Fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We've been given understanding, use it to learn and grow in intimacy. Now for the conclusion of the conclusions. You ready for this? This is like a stinger on the end of his whole, this is the first time and only time he talks about idolatry. And he just says, here it is. And I think that he is summing up the entire book. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. Idols can infect and begin with any one of these arenas. The thinking the, the, the desiring, the wanting, or the doing. But let me tell you, no matter where the, the idol is, a false god or a substitute for the true and living God, it will damage the other two arenas as well. 
John's been talking about this. Grow up into him. Cast away your, the things that will destroy and devastate your walk and intimacy with Jesus Christ. And that's why he taught us back in chapter 2. And I believe it's the key verse to the whole, to the whole epistle. 1 John 2, 15-17. And it's all about idolatry of the mind, the heart, and, and the life. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. Idols will not satisfy. They will devastate our walk with Christ and they will wreak havoc on our fellowship one with another and in our fellowship with the Father and His Son. The world is passing away along with its desires, but the one who does the will of the Father abides forever. Little children, keep yourself from idols. If Jesus Christ is my foundation, I have access to everything I need, but I must steward it faithfully while guarding against all forms of idolatry. Journey Church, and every single person, let's run fast and hard and with a full heart into the paths of discipleship and following the Lord in this next season. If Jesus Christ is your foundation. Let's double back on that because we're about ready to serve communion and the ushers can come forward, start passing out those elements, but if you can take that and listen at the same time. John began this text in verse 13 saying, I write these things. And the question is, what things? The whole book? Well, in the context, it refers to the previous two verses. And this will have everything to do with communion. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. These things. We go back two verses and we read this. Ready? 1 John 5, 11 and 12. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. But whoever does not have the Son does not have life. What is, what is communion in the element symbolic of? The body and blood of the Son of God. And that we would take a moment to give thanks. And that we would once again receive them physically... To remind ourselves of whom we have believed upon or believed in. That we have within us the Son himself. We've received the gift of the forgiveness of sins. We've, for, we've received the finished work of Christ and Christ himself on our behalf. Why were there those in Corinth that were weak, sick, and dying? 
First category, it could have been a mocker that goes, sure, I'll try some of that. They did not believe. This was not for them. And God said, do not make a mockery of, of my gospel. So this is for believers. But there was a second category, certainly. Those who were in willful, defiant sin that were not coming clean. Or making it just a, a mockery and almost like taking the Lord's name in vain. They weren't even really thinking about the gravity. And so there were layers of sickness and weakness and even like, no, I'm not putting up with that. It's dishonoring my son. It's ruining the community of faith and it is bringing harm to the believer. I'm taking them home now. And so here's the admission today. This is for believers this is for believers who are, we're giving thanks. We're focusing in on Jesus. We're realigning ourselves with, with the, the truth and the reality that we have the Son. And that his broken body and his shed blood is enough for all of us. Not only to be reconciled with the Father, but guess what? Reconciled with each other. Don't you got to admit that some of us get on each other's nerves? Don't I say stupid things sometimes that kind of bug you? No, Jim Roden, I'm not talking about like a generality. I, I say stupid things. And yet, isn't it wonderful that the broken body and shed blood of Jesus has taken away every barrier between us and God and his son and the Holy Spirit and one another? Aren't you thankful Aren't you thankful that marriages can be restored? Aren't you thankful that sons and daughters that have walked away can return? Aren't you thankful for forgiveness and salvation this morning? Let's celebrate and give thanks together. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread. And he blessed it. And then he broke it in front of his disciples. And he says, take eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the wine. And he says, this represents the new covenant in my blood. I believe this is analogous directly to the seed. His seed abides in him. New birth, new heart, new nature, new desires, new affections, transformed from the inside out. This represents the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me and let us receive the Son and his sacrifice. Then the Apostle Paul would say, and I love this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's say thanks together in prayer. Father, we love you. Oh, Lord, we are so, at times, weak and frail. And uh, some of us live in shame. Others of us don't even know what shame is, and we should, until it brings us to repentance. Lord, we're so different we struggle in different ways and yet your grace is enough your kindness leads us to repentance 
you've restored us over and over again uh, because you love us. Jesus, you have kept us from the evil one. But Lord, you've also blessed us with one another. You've given us patience and kindness for one another. Forbearance, forgiveness, and repair. Lord, you've restored us at various times, and we didn't even know how it was working, but someone was praying for us. And Lord, we want to continue to do that for one another and others. We lift those up who are weak and discouraged, struggling, wayward. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the compassionate good shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after the one, but let us be a part of that also. Bring to mind people that need a touch, need a, a word, need encouragement, need prayer. And may we follow through with that and be a part of restoring our brothers and sisters. And until you return, may we be growing and flourishing in our walk with Jesus. Oh, dear God, please help us. Please change us from the inside out and make us more like Jesus. And we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.